Welcome to the Bible and Me podcast from Precept UK. Being a Christian charity based here in the UK focused on helping you to know God deeply to live differently, we have discussions with some of the greatest modern men and women of God about how their relationship with God's Word, the Bible, has transformed their lives. If you are encouraged by any of the messages in this podcast, it would help us out enormously if you could leave us a review. Or better yet, get involved with God's Word for yourself at precept.org.uk. The opinions and views shared in this podcast do not necessarily reflect that of Precept UK. Now, without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I am delighted to welcome Jonathan Lamb to the Bible and Me podcast today. Uh, Jonathan grew up in London, uh, coming to faith as a young boy. He also contracted polio aged five, uh, which has left him with uh, some disabilities with his uh, an arm and a leg. On leaving school, Jonathan read geography and economics at Exeter University and following a brief spell at teaching, he embarked on a career of preaching and writing about God's word, all of which has led him to travel widely across the world. He's currently minister at large at Keswick Ministries. Some of Jonathan's interests include reading, traveling, photography, being with young people and his family, of course. He's married to Margaret um, and they have three daughters and five grandchildren. Now, just before we start, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Uh, noted you, that you have three daughters. I have three sons. So our, <laughs> our parenting experience will be very, very different. <laughs> yes, we, we didn't get the recipe for boys, I'm afraid. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, three, three girls. Much easier, I think, girls than boys. But anyway. But... <laughs> oh, oh, fantastic. And five grandchildren. And we're going to be grandparents uh, shortly, which we're well uh, for the first time, which we're looking forward to very much. Now, Jonathan, how did you come to faith in Christ? And secondly, why? Why do you follow Jesus? Uh, well, first, thank you, Nigel, for having me on. And um, it's a pleasure to talk to you again, meet you again. Um, yes, I came to faith uh, as, a, as a child, as you mentioned in your brief introduction. I was living in London. My parents were Christian believers. And uh, my father was involved in uh, a small church locally in North London. And uh, as part of that, um, he set up a small mission for children. It was a uh, sort of week-long event and a, a, a man came to speak at it and um by virtue of my father and my, my parents uh um good upbringing and their encouragement to me to think about the christian faith um i was was all already very close to becoming a christian i think even at the age of five anyway at this mission um the man who was leading it invited children at the end of the evening to come forward if they wanted to become christians if they wanted to be a follower of jesus and uh, i remember it very well i don't of course i was only five i didn't know all of the theology but i remember most of all um i needed to be forgiven i knew jesus had died so that i could be forgiven so i went forward and um the man leading the service saw me toddling up. I was quite small, and um, he he saw he thought I think that uh, I was just coming up with the crowd of children who were coming up. So he put his hand on my head, swiveled me round, and sent me back to my seat. But in fact, um, it was genuine enough. And <laughs> when I got home, I explained to my father that uh, I wanted to follow Jesus. And we prayed together then. And uh, so it was really my father's influence, my parents' influence, and that particular event which provoked me to uh, to commit my life to the Lord. And um, as I said a moment ago, um, uh, my understanding was obviously quite limited at that stage, but I really did understand that Jesus had died so that I could be forgiven. Um, your, your subsidiary question, why do I follow him? Well, this is now um, nearly 65 years later, and um, I've, I've uh, been so thankful for, for a life lived um, in Christ, as Christians would say. And the reasons why I, I followed him and continue to do so are that since the age of five, I've come to realize that, of course, all of God's purposes um, are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. There's a lovely verse in 2 Corinthians 1. Um, verse 20, where Paul says all God's promises are yes in Jesus. So everything that good that God has promised for us as individuals and as communities has been uh, revealed in Jesus and fulfilled 
uh, through what Jesus has done. And now I, I know him and love him. Uh, the Bible says I'm united to Christ. And I think that for me has been the big issue uh, uh, for, for following the Lord Jesus is, is uh, the biblical idea uh, and the reality that uh, when we put our faith in Christ, we become united to him. He is our life. He's my identity in that sense. Uh, my uh, everything about me is related to to the Lord Jesus, who is who is uh, my Savior and Lord. Um, so, being a Christian is not simply to believe in a, a particular set of uh, truths, although that is important, nor to attend a church. Being a Christian is someone who is united to Jesus Christ, who shares His life, and uh, who one day will be completely like the Lord Jesus, as as the Apostle John says. So, that's a rather long argument uh, response to your question, but. I think it's because I found in Jesus um, the the life uh, uh, that that reveals who God is, what God's purposes are, how I should live according to uh, uh, God's God's word, and and uh, how I should follow the example of Christ. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking someone will be listening to this and say, "Well, you know, I'm not a Christian. Um, of course, you know, I've heard about Jesus, but but." Um, you know, what are the benefits? Are there any benefits? You know, I, I could, I, I'm perfectly happy. I'm, I'm living my life. I'm, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a pretty moral person. You know, why, why should I follow Jesus? What, what would you say to that person? Yes. Well, um, I know it was rather childlike when I was five to say that I knew I needed to be forgiven, mm. but in actual fact, I think that's, that's a universal issue and uh, whatever our age and culture, and um, we're aware of the, the ways in which we have fallen short, even from our own standards. And we certainly have fallen short by God's standards. And um, that for me has been one, one of the primary issues, but certainly as a child and as a teenager, the, the joy of knowing that Jesus has carried my sins, carried my uh, guilt, um, has taken the punishment, which I deserve from, from, uh, from God. And now I'm free. But of course, as I'm hinted at in my, point about all of god's promises are yes in jesus um in terms of benefits if that's the way we look at uh, being a christian um at every point where god has uh, provided his resources um the the sense of of uh, of peace and well-being the, the sense of shalom to use a an old testament word the jewish word the sense of well-being the sense of purpose uh, that my life is now part of god's overall purpose uh, and not not a randomly lived life the idea i mentioned it just a moment ago of my uh, eventually being with christ and being like christ in other words putting my faith in christ is not simply to do with this present moment but it also extends into uh, into a future eternal life so um it's a very rich concept in the bible and so if some of our listeners um, are uncertain uh, why people want to follow Christ. I, I would refer them to all of the, the good things which gospel writers say about Jesus, all the promises that Jesus makes to us if we follow him, mm. all of the good gifts which God gives uh, to those who are in his family. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, there are, yeah, there's such a long list of benefits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And there's an exhortation for those listening to uh, to to get a Bible if you haven't got one and 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 open it and read it maybe um, well not maybe but absolutely read it. Um, give us a taste of your upbringing. I mean, you've mentioned coming to faith, which is just incredible at age five. Um, but listeners, a taste of your upbringing, your home, your school life, and and you contracted polio at a very young age. I mean, that must have been yes. very very tough as a young boy growing up as well. Mm. Um, yes, I've, as I mentioned, I was brought up in London and um, with with um, very loving parents. It was a modest home. We lived in a little council house in North London. My father was, uh, first of all, a bus driver and then a milkman. And then eventually he, he uh, went to work in a hospital in, in accountants, uh, in accountancy. Um, but we were a very modest family. I went to a local school. But you're right um, that almost at the same time as I decided to follow the Lord Jesus, I contracted polio, which I was the final wave, actually, of, of polio in London at that time. I had uh, quite a lot of people were impacted. Mm. Um, I went into hospital, actually, to have my tonsils taken out. And it was while I was in hospital that I, I caught polio. 
And um, mm. that affected, at the time, it affected all my limbs. Um, but I, I did recover. My left leg is strong. My right arm is strong. But my right leg and left arm are both are both weak as a result. Polio impacts uh, muscles as, as a muscle wasting disease, as you, as perhaps most people know. The good news, it's no longer active. I think almost all around the world now, it's been uh, um, uh, has been dealt with very effectively through yeah. vaccination programs. Um, but you're also right; it did it did shape me quite a bit. Um, yeah. Interestingly, as I thought about the question when you when you mentioned it to me earlier. Um, I can't recall any moment in my childhood or schooling which was in any sense unhappy. Actually, it was a wonderfully happy childhood. And um, at school, too, I have nothing but good memories. Maybe I've, I've had some healing of the memories. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I think probably because it's um, something I've lived with almost for the whole of my life, mm -hmm. Um it's just, uh, you know, I, I know nothing different and it's never been a, a major issue. Mm -hmm. I think the main thing that has really helped me uh, when I when I became a teenager, it wasn't until I was about 13 or 14 when I spoke to my my parents. And um, I realized at that point that probably I was going to be stuck with this for the whole of my life. At first, I, as a child, I thought, oh, well, I'll recover. Then the leg, the leg will get back back to normal it never did uh, the, mus the muscle is is more or less dead um and it wasn't until the early teens i realized well now i've got to get used to this this is the whole of life mm -hmm. um but what was most important and i might come back to it uh, in, yeah. later in our discussion was it taught me a great deal about dependence uh, dependence on other people obviously my parents but also dependence on god and um i i actually look back on this particular disability which is not particularly substantial i've managed to travel the world and, and get on with life but it's it at times has been something of a challenge and it's taught me to to trust god much more than i otherwise would i think mm. to be dependent on god uh, to look to him for strength and grace in ways that i otherwise never would have done i think so yeah. i look back on on that particular incident of, of uh, contracting polio not as a curse from god or anything yes, like that yes but actually rather more as a gift and, and i'm thankful oh. for the way in which has helped me uh to respond in all kinds of unusual circumstances with well, that ability well what a wonderful attitude what a wonderful wonderful attitude that you have because i guess you know it would be it would be easy to in a sense blame god for this and you know you ask the why questions why me and why mm. and why haven't I got mm -hmm. healing? But but that hasn't been your attitude. You've 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 come to accept it and uh, and the opposite, but to rely and trust on God, which is fantastic. Now, on leaving school, uh, you went to Exeter University to read geography and economics, mm -hmm. and you actually taught those subjects for a couple of years. Um, how did you then get involved in working among students with the universities and colleges Christian Fellowship? And also, what what did this work involve? Mm. Yes, um, well, uh, the three years I had at university were really lovely. We I went to Exeter, and um, it was a, a lovely experience in terms of study and friendships. Uh, but I was very involved at the time with uh, the Christian Union. Actually, you probably know all over the country in every university there's a Christian group, and uh, I quickly connected with them and um, learned a great deal through being part of that and uh, in the end um, was very involved I became the president of the Christian Union and then became a sort of a rep on a national committee for UCCF and I think it was because of of those connections as a student that then a couple of years later UCCF asked if I'd like to join their staff team they have a at that point had a, a small national staff um, which uh, worked in different regions so i worked in the southwest of england and um, visited uh, exeter and uh, bristol and uh, bath universities as they were and there were polytechnics in those days in in plymouth and in in bristol and uh, oxford and then also amongst oh, about 120 colleges which were throughout the southwest from sort of gloucester cheltenham area all the way down to the Falmouth School of Art and um, the Camborne School of Mines and so on. So it was a fantastic <laughs> few years. I, I traveled uh, in a small mini 
up and down the southwest. And in terms of the work, well, it it, it continues now. It's even more strong, of course, around the UK. But in essence, um, staff like myself were uh, engaged to try to um, encourage the development of these small Christian unions in colleges. There's a strong emphasis on student leadership. So we weren't taking responsibility for what was going on. Rather, we were trying to support and encourage and train students in developing their own um, work in each college and university. And that was not simply uh, how to encourage them to, to be Christians and to tell others about Christ. It was also to think Christianly about their subjects and their studies uh, to engage the institution of the university and the college as well, um, to find ways of demonstrating their commitment to the Christian faith in all in the whole of life, not just the religious corner of going to church or running a Christian union, but also in the way they train to become um, doctors or engineers or architects or whatever area of work that they were involved with. So it was a whole mixture of uh, teaching and training and encouraging uh, meeting individuals one-to-one it's where I got my my uh, coffee addiction I think I used to go from, from student to student drinking coffee every time yes. and, and also in, in the southwest there were lots of small colleges with nothing happening so there was also a pioneering element where I would try to uh, discover uh, yes. if people would like to come to talk about the Christian faith yes uh, those those were the kinds of things that I gave my time to yeah brilliant Fantastic. Formative years, gosh. They were, yes. Yeah. And um, and UCCF, uh, people can find out about it from the website, uccf.org. There's a, an awful lot going on in the universities and colleges all around Britain and indeed yeah. all around the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a formative time in people's lives, of course, leaving home, much so. you know, maybe for the first time going to university where there are lots of challenges. You know, we've got three sons that have been through uni and yeah. you know, it can be a challenging time for young young guys. Yes, indeed. At that time. So, mm-hmm. so wonderful. Now, in the, in the 80s, you also served at Belmont Chapel in Exeter in a pastoral teaching role. Um, yeah. what, were your, what were your memories of this time? And what did you see the Lord doing whilst you were there in the congregation? Um, yes. Um, so I'd been working with uh, UCCF for quite a few years. And we, Margaret and I were then living in in the Midlands in Leicester, which is where the head office was. And then our friends back in Exeter at Belmont Chapel, where I was involved as a student, um, contacted us because they were uh, beginning to think of appointing someone to work within the congregation um belmont chapel uh, comes from a, a background which some of our listeners might know it's called the christian brethren um brethren assemblies are all around the world there was a group unfortunately known as the exclusive brethren who i'm afraid were rather cult-like they they separated themselves in ways which were entirely inappropriate but there was also an open brethren network of churches there were churches which were independent but which also were totally committed to Christ and to the scriptures and to uh, encouraging um, everyone in the congregation to be uh, fully involved. Um, but as they, as Belmont grew larger, um, they realized it would be helpful to have someone working full-time to encourage and uh, pastor and teach and, and um, work in, in that setting. The main issue actually, which they raised with me, they had a very large number of young people in the sort of 20 to 40 age range, but they were beginning to drift away. They weren't um, engaged so much in uh, in the Christian faith. And so that was the primary focus that I was given to try to work amongst students and younger adults. And uh, by God's grace, um, there were a large number of very fine believers in that, in that group. And we worked hard to uh, um, shape the life of the church in a way which would provide a regular diet of bible teaching that was not really there uh, in its early years um also uh, an evangelistic element that would uh, continue to reach out um, and a sort of pastoral structure that would care for everybody in the church so yeah. um i think uh, by god's grace working with a, a team of others um Belmont was able to tackle those three big areas uh, mm. teaching evangelism and pastoral ministry mm. and um Margaret and I look back on those years we also had a young family at that point mm. as being really really 
significant for us in helping us to see where our gifts lay and what kinds of things we ought to give our future uh, time to. And I hope by God's grace, it also contributed to strengthening that church, which continues to to do very well. Uh, yeah. Chapel. It's gone on to, to purchase a building and grow, grow quite yes. considerably. Yeah. Fan- yeah. Wonderful. Gosh, putting in firm foundations. Um, now, following your time there, you had a long association with the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, or IFES, as it's called. Mm. Uh, a few questions related to your time with them. Uh, first of all, for those that may not know, what is IFES and mm-hmm. what is at the heart of its work? So that's the first question. Yes. Um, well, I mentioned a moment ago UCCF, which is the Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship, and that's the agency here in the United Kingdom. Uh, which is working in the universities. Well, in the same way, all around the world, there are similar national organizations which are trying to reach students in universities and, and colleges. So uh, in France, it's the GBU, Group Biblique Universitaire, uh, in in many other parts of the world. In fact, over 150 countries now have national student movements. And they're united together uh, under one umbrella organization which is the international fellowship of evangelical students so ifes is really the family name of all of the uh, student movements all around the world it's a fantastic global movement and ifes therefore um seeks to to uh, encourage and support those national movements where they exist it seeks to pioneer those movements um where they don't exist it provides resources and coordination and uh, uh, support for all of that work uh, globally. So I was asked to help um, in the 1980s. Um, and particularly, the first thing I was asked to do was, could we try and encourage Christian witness in the universities in communist Europe and the Soviet Union? At that point, there was no formal activity for obvious reasons in in that part of Europe and the Soviet Union. Uh, the idea of of um, uh, generating Christian groups was was pretty much a no no. And um, so, uh, my work was to try to work with the team. We travelled into many of the communist countries, tried to introduce Christian literature, tried to find if there were Christian believers, and there were, tried to help them discreetly and carefully work uh, to establish Christian witness in the universities, in the university sector, and in the Soviet Union similarly. Um, So that was a very exciting period from 1983 to to when the political changes came in 1989, when the Berlin Wall fell and those countries suddenly became open. Um, It was was very exciting to see how... Was it it dangerous on occasions? well, it had its moments, but it wasn't dangerous in the sense that I, I, I think we could always, I could always get out of those countries. Some, some of my colleagues did spend a little while in prison, but um, the danger was more for the national leaders who were taking yeah. responsibility and putting their head above the parapet as Christian believers at a time when that was more demanding. But by God's grace, the situation was changing in Europe in the eighties. Mm. Um, there were also very interesting a lot of Africans who were studying in the Soviet Union. They had, the USSR had links with some of the African states, particularly those with with left, you know, communist uh, leanings. And so a lot of Africans were there and many of those Africans were believers. They had a very tough time, partly because they were Christian believers and partly because they were black and, and they had a very, very difficult time. But they became a group who could also work with nationals uh, to try to establish Christian witness in in those settings, so yeah, uh, it was yeah, it was a very exciting time, and and especially of course to all of the changes, political changes yeah. in 1989, meant suddenly everything opened up. And yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I indeed. I was serving in um, in the army at that time, and uh, really? yeah, <laughs> yeah, fas- fascinating uh, time. And and just after the Berlin Wall came down, was in Germany um, at a place called Hildesheim, not far from what was the inner German border. Mm. and my wife molly was an eye specialist and she used to go to berlin um yeah. to the military hospital there and we used to go to berlin it's fascinating absolutely fascinating yes yes, yes, His- yes. history making times yeah, um, well, yeah now following this time uh with a focus on eastern europe you then became regional secretary for europe and eurasia and then mm. associate uh, general secretary before becoming vice president for eight years um mm. 
I'm interested in your thoughts about the ways in which culture impacts the preaching of the gospel and the manner in which people become and continue to be disciples of Jesus. For instance, is this different in former communist countries from other countries? Mm. I, uh, that's a very, a very good question and um, quite a profound one, I think. Um, let me begin by saying I think the great the, one of the reasons why I continue to follow Jesus, to come back to your very first question, yeah, is the remarkable way in which you meet uh, people in every culture all around the world who've had exactly the same experience of encountering Jesus, coming to know him, uh, living for him, finding his his life uh, uh, not just a model but but the power of his life to impact yours and it's one of the very affirming things to discover this isn't just western it's not just british it's not it's it is actually a global phenomenon mm. and that has of course has has gone on ever since jesus walked this earth and so it's a great joy for me in ifs and and in other um agencies to have been able to work uh, and uh, learn from believers in every part of the world um However, there are three, it's worth thinking about culture, that, to use your word. Um, first of all, of course, I'm from a particular culture. Mm -hmm. I'm a white Brit, and uh, I was brought up in London and, and uh, in a Christian environment with a particular Christian denomination. Um, but then I want to understand the Bible, and the Bible itself is walking into another culture. Um, mm -hmm. God, God takes culture seriously because Jesus came into a particular culture, a particular place at a particular time and a particular culture. Mm -hmm. So to understand the Bible, I must also understand the culture of, of the different uh, uh, writers and their contexts. And if I'm going to try and explain it to someone else in another culture, then I also need to understand their culture as well. So there are three cultures there, mine, yep. the Bible's, and the culture I'm I'm going to or speaking to, so if I'm if I'm uh, in Eastern Europe or if I'm in Africa or Asia, um, of course, if I'm trying to explain the Christian gospel to them, it needs to relate to their cultural setting, to their worldviews, to their uh, the challenges which they face. So um, this is the remarkable thing about Christianity, and I say again, it's not Western. Sometimes people think Christianity is a Western religion. It's not. It's truly a global, uh, a global phenomenon. And the Christian gospel um, and the the essence of what it means to to follow Jesus and live for Him is, of course, unchanging. But how that relates in culture after culture, how people uh, receive the gospel and then live out the gospel. It is, of course, going to be different in 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 the light of the cultures where they're living. So um, I, I notice, for example, in terms of Christian worship, that uh, I'm in North Oxford, which is quite a, quite a rich part of the world and quite a formal Anglican church uh, that I go to. And yet, when I visit Christians in uh, in Kenya. Um, their worship, their engagement is 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 quite different. Um, that that happens, of course, in every culture. That people will will respond in in the way they uh, worship and the way they teach and preach. That might be quite different. But the essence of what we are believing and worshiping is, of course, identical. And that's why this lovely family of mm. God is is uh, is a very rich experience in in. Uh, in uh, for, for every christian who travels you begin to discover the joy of of uh, fellow believers in in all of these different cultures who are committed to the one father the one lord jesus christ indwelt by the same holy spirit and therefore one family irrespective of all of those different cultures so um it, it's a, a demanding uh, subject you you uh, raised there nigel and <laughs> um, for me it's the one gospel which uh, has united God's people all around the world. But the task of explaining that to people has to be contextualized, as we say. It has to, has to be uh, appropriate to their setting and their culture and respect those, those issues and not yeah. trample on them. Yeah, great, great. And of course, you know, we're made, we believe as Christians, we're made in the image of God. And of course, mm. seeing all those different people in different contexts and cultures 
is a reflection of God himself and the, it is. the multifaceted yes. nature of who God is. I remember walking through a big, um, massive market square. Um, I think it was in Italy some years ago. And I, the thought just struck me as I walked through this square. There were lots and lots of people there. And mm-hmm. I was just catching faces as I was walking past. And I think every single one of these people has got a different face. They've got yes. you know, different hair color, different eyes, different. They're different. Yeah. And, yet, yeah. and yet we're all human beings. And, and, and I thought, that's incredible. Of the, I don't know, 8 billion people on the earth, yes. you know, there are very few identical twins out there. Um, <laughs> and you think, oh, you know, how could you design, create some that many people so differently? And, yes. and you just get an inkling of the creativity of God, don't you? You do indeed. Yeah, it's very rich. It, it is. It's phenomenal. And yet, at the same, you know, with that huge diversity, um, you also identify across humanity uh, very, very similar um, personal needs yes. and, and responses. And back again to your early question, um, that, that that in almost every culture, there are these same anxieties or same needs for forgiveness the same longing for well-being the same desire to uh, to find find purpose and meaning yes. in life and and it's that of course which the christian gospel addresses and, and yeah. it's the reason why the christian gospel resonates in every culture of the world yeah to, love, speak, and, yeah, to love and yeah. to love and be loved yeah now exactly. um recent turmoil and wars in the middle east mm-hmm. big migrations into europe what challenges have these posed, do you think, or opportunities maybe for preaching of the gospel? Yes, um, you're right. It's it's one of the um, one of the massive uh, uh, challenges of of the last uh, decade or two yes. have been the huge migrations of people, and. Um, um, you're also right that that uh, that represents both challenges and opportunities. Mm. Of course, it's a colossal dislocation for people. Even this most recent uh, um, shift of people out of Afghanistan or out of Ukraine because of the war, um, the the dislocation for individuals and families and, and mm. communities, Christian communities too, has been colossal and and very costly. And I think one of the things, one of the challenges, let's just think about Europe. The, the the bad news is the sense of of sometimes a sense of racism, the xenophobia, the nationalism, the populism, which which rejects the foreigner, which doesn't you know, which is yes. often um, uh, often against uh, the migrants. I, I read the UN general, the secretary general, talking about this mood. He says there's a tsunami of hate towards many many people who are having to flee their own country. So it's a very, very demanding situation. Um, at the same time, um, there have been some re- remarkable responses from the Christian community, both in terms of welcoming people, and that's true as we've welcomed Afghan yeah. refugees and Ukrainians in our own country and, and in Europe. Um, there's something called uh, the Refugee Highway Partnership, which um, has been a lovely partnership of Christians across Europe, where they are they have been working to care for refugees on on the on the classic highways the classic routes that um, migrants follow to get to safety and um uh in in those circumstances i think there's been a, a very very fine uh, witness to the way in which the christian community responds with compassion and care for needy people there's also been a fantastic response as people have have come to know Christ for themselves and uh, quite large numbers. Um, I made a note of a of a Christian uh, movie. I think it's called Jesus in Athens, which has has tried to put together the story of how refugees have, have come to faith in Christ. So there's some wonderful stories of response uh, um, as as um, new opportunities have 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 come up. Yeah. The other thing about thinking about our own continent, I, we were talking a moment ago about the gospel around the world. Um, of course, the, the Christian message is is uh, uh, taken on very readily in Africa and Asia, Latin America. The churches are growing rapidly. Mm. Europe has become more post-Christian. It's the one continent where we're not seeing the same kind of growth. Yes. Having said that, the interesting area of church growth in Europe is partly is a lot of new church planting going on, but the others 
the other thing are the um, uh, the churches which are being formed by immigrant communities. Yes, uh, what we might call the diaspora churches, which are growing rapidly in Germany and in France, some here in the United Kingdom. So some of the black churches in London are really growing rapidly. In Germany, there are um, refugees who have come to faith, establishing churches, and indeed are then um, telling the good news of the gospel to indigenous Germans. So the growth of these uh, diaspora churches has really been very positive impact on Europe. And of course, that's because we have received refugees who themselves have, have uh, many of them have been Christian believers. In the United States, actually, they've received large numbers of refugees yeah. and immigrants, many of whom are Christians. And that is in turn um, uh, of benefit to to the receiving country so it, it is of course mixed but yes. there's a good there's a good story alongside a sad yes. story yeah. amen and preset um preset operates in many countries around the world and we're very closely connected with friends of ours in moldova particularly and in poland oh, who are good. reaching out to um to the refugees there and and we're seeing yes. churches being created as a result of 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 um, reaching out to them and helping them getting into the word of God and then becoming established, which is just fantastic to see. That is, that's very good news. Yes, yeah, so there's a, there's a lot happening uh, yeah. for what we can thank God. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, my partic- my boss is a guy called Vasily Filat, and I'd like to say that he's like a modern day Apostle Paul. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, and I'm not kidding when I say that he really is incredible evangelist and Bible teacher. And yes. he, when the Ukraine war happened and people started coming across the border in Moldova, he said people were so open to the gospel. He said it, it's, mm. it, it, it's. He said it, it must have been like this in biblical times. Is yes. how he described it. Uh, people yes. were so open to the gospel. So yes. I think there are right challenges, but opportunities. Um, you were the director of Langham preaching for some 13, 14 years. Um, what was the purpose of Langham preaching and what's God done through this? Mm. Um, well, uh, we mentioned a moment ago the extraordinary growth of the church of the Christian community in many many parts of the world, including what these days we might call the majority world. Um, you know, we sometimes talk about the uh, the third world or the developing world, but in, in fact, I like the term majority world. It's where the majority of people live, and it's where the majority of Christians are. It's Africa, Asia. Latin America and, and those big continents where the church is growing rapidly. And um, now, when I was born, actually, in, in the 1950s, um, the majority of Christians were in the in the in our part of the world, the Western, the Northern Hemisphere. And during my lifetime, it's changed completely. And yeah. so now um, uh, a high percentage of believers are in the majority world of Africa, Asia, Latin America. However, um, although there are large numbers of Christian believers, uh, the resources are relatively limited. The, um, the, the literature, the training, the theological education is quite limited. And so Langham Partnership was established by a, a man who some of our listeners might remember. His name was John Stott, and he was a, an Anglican preacher in London. But he had a worldwide ministry of teaching and preaching, and he saw the needs in, in many of these countries where the church was growing rapidly but didn't have the resources it needed. So um, uh, with others, um, he, he worked to set up uh, three little programs. One was called Langham Literature, which was trying to provide books, but also how eventually how to help writers and publishers. Another was called Langham Scholars, which was trying to equip people who could train others, so helping them get their PhDs or their master's degree so that they could then teach others. And then the third was called Langham Preaching, and I was asked to try to uh, kickstart that program. And th- this wasn't an academic program. It was simply, and it continues to this day, now working in about 70 countries. Mm. Uh, the idea was how could we help people in churches who who have had no training and perhaps have no books at all, but Sunday by Sunday, they have to explain the Bible to other people. They may be pastors, they may be lay preachers, um, they may be evangelists, they may be pioneers in their country. How could we help them to explain the Bible in ways which their culture and communities could understand and would build up the Christian community? Um, 
the reason why that's so important is, uh, as I know you'll you'll be very familiar with in your own work, um, Nigel, in precept, and that is that um, the Christian will only grow once we uh, uh, come to read and understand and live uh, out the truth of what the Bible gives us. And so if there aren't uh, the opportunities for people to uh, um, hear the word of God proclaimed, they're not going to grow as Christian disciples. Um, so it's vital that we equip a new generation of preachers and teachers. And that's what Langham Preaching sought to do. So we set up simple training programs in each country. And then uh, that was taken on by national teams of trainers and leaders. Um, the little seminar programs were then developed and people formed what, what in many countries are called preachers clubs. They're just small groups of people from different churches in Latin America, they're called escuelitas, which is little little preachers' schools, who uh, would meet together. They still meet. There are many of them all around the world now. They meet uh, week by week to, to work together on a Bible passage and discuss how they could then teach that in their own churches. One story, I, I was in one city in Latin America where these were going extremely well, and the uh, Bible teachers and pastors from all of the churches in the town would come together and they would work together on the Bible passage and uh, decide how best to preach it. And then on the following Sunday, they would all preach that same passage uh, in their different churches, different denominations from the, from the same passage. And that sense of solidarity and working together was 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 a lovely example of partnership in the gospel. And so Langham, as I say, now works in 70 or more countries, um, just seeking to uh, nurture a new generation of preachers and teachers. Um, and uh, that that uh is is a, a great answer to prayer i think and a great resource for the national churches too absolutely wow how goodness me think of the fruit the spiritual fruit that will have come and is coming from that and will come yes from that. Just, yes, just wonderful just mm. gosh mm. okay now for many of the last 20 years uh you have not only been reading and preaching god's word but also writing about it too <laughs> um indeed you have written a very large number of books uh with titles ranging from he guides us discovering the will of god in 1987 to your most recent book growing healthy churches urgent biblical priorities for local churches so and uh, in preparation for this podcast you sent me a list of all the amazing books that you have written um just fantastic um i think i'm going to make you my agent you're very kind I, no no I, I honestly i just think they are fantastic titles i really do um where do you get your ideas from to write on a particular subject hmm. um well i think almost all of the books that i've i've had hmm. together have actually been at the invitation of the publisher so um he guides us which is the very first little book well, second that I put together was an invitation uh, from Hodder with the publisher Hodder and uh, the Evangelical Alliance, who were working on a series of foundation books. Um, and and subsequently, most of the other books have been uh, requests from others. So that's the ideas have, have, have been buzzing with me, but they, they were provoked by a publisher. Um, very often, um, there are several books which I've written, which which are to do with with Bible books. In other words, um, when I've been involved in Langham, or I've been involved also with something called Keswick Ministries, mm -hmm. um, I've been asked to teach a Bible book. So uh, through five sessions, for example, on Nehemiah, or five sessions on Habakkuk, or on James, mm -hmm. on 2 mm -hmm. Corinthians. And um, because I've had to work hard at how to explain these Bible books uh, in a way which is accessible and uh, hopefully helpful to people, um, publishers have then been quite interested in taking that material. And so I've reworked what I've taught into uh, a written form. And yeah. there are five or six books on that little list, which um, have, have come from that having been previously taught or preached in in different settings and yeah. some of those have been picked up by langham preaching which i've i've just been speaking about and have been translated into different uh, uh languages because mm. um they're not overly academic and um, what they are are trying to introduce what the bible book says mm -hmm. and then shape it in a structure it in a way which people can follow and then illustrate it in ways which will make sense and then we've added questions so that these preachers groups that might meet 
could could work on it together if they're going to teach from two second corinthians or teach from the book of nehemiah in the old testament they've got some raw material which they could use uh, and refine and and relate more directly to their context so several books have come by virtue of of uh, what i've been doing um in in yeah. Latin or in, in keswick or in ifs yeah. Yes, and I'll come on to talk about Keswick in a minute, if I may. Um, mm. Nehemiah is one of my favourite books in the Old Testament. What a mm. great leader. Um, do you have a favourite book? Now, that's a tough question, and it's a it's a naughty question, really, to ask <laughs> you. But I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> it's mean, of the ones that I've written that won't. Yes, uh, yes, yeah. yes. Um, yes. Well, um, I, I suppose. Well, there are there are two which I think probably were timely were particularly timely one is called integrity which has been published by ivp and this was partly based on two corinthians but it was also a request from ivp which i think is still resonates with me and i'm still actually still invited often to talk about it because the question of of living the christian life in a in a a rounded holistic way in other words not just saying i am a christian but demonstrating that in every area of life that i think is one of our big challenges uh in 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 christian living and um there have been unfortunately some um some failures well in fact we're all we are all still sinners and and christian leaders fail uh, uh in their christian living as others do but we need to um, encourage this uh, theme of living with integrity. Uh, and I think that that is a contemporary issue. And I hope that that book um, seeks to provide some encouragement and help. And the other, which I've written more recently, is is one that, that again, I was asked to write by IVP. It's called Essentially One. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that book is looking at the issue of how Christians should live and work together. Um, the subtitle is striving for the unity god loves and the reason behind that book was um the publisher but also i think many many of us christians recognize um that again the culture is is one of of uh tribalism of fracture mm-hmm. british culture american political culture um there's a there's a growing sense of polarization in society and that sometimes rubs off on the christian community and instead of of establishing true partnerships uh, within the christian family there's a greater fracture fracturing a tribalism some churches are are sometimes destroyed by division and uh, mm-hmm. and therefore uh, ivp thought we ought to try to emphasize the unity which god has created paul in the new testament talks about one new humanity when we become christians we are part of a new people one new humanity we ought to demonstrate that in the way in which uh, we live as churches and as individuals so that book um was is probably the longest book that i've written and the most demanding one to write but i hope might might be useful in in situations where where christians can easily fracture or where churches can divide or more positively where we could build greater partnerships uh, amongst churches and 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 indeed around the world yeah wonderful now you've mentioned keswick um and i'm sure there'll be maybe a number of people listening that have been to keswick but um just describe a little bit about your involvement with keswick what keswick seeks to do and i know that keswick is sort of expanding isn't it sort of mini keswick's around the place and overseas as well Mm. Um, yes, uh, well, in, in case anyone is not familiar with it, um, Keswick is a small town in the middle of the English Lake District up in the north of England. It's a beautiful uh, town and a beautiful area. And uh, um, nearly 150 years ago, um, a small movement began in the town of Keswick. The uh, the local vicar, actually, at the church, um, in common with others, felt that uh, the great danger with Christianity at that time, and it's true throughout its history, is it can become institutionalized. It becomes formal or dry or just dry orthodoxy rather than living faith. So he decided to hold a little um, event and he put up a tent on his lawn outside the vicarage. And uh, they were trying to emphasize how we could be uh, the renewal of the spiritual life was the main thrust, how to grows spiritually so that christianity is not just a formal belief it's actually a living faith uh, which demonstrates itself uh, through faith in christ uh, day by day so that's how it began and it's met in keswick every year since then since 1875 apart from one year in the second world war um, and 
that that has gathered momentum so much so that now it runs for three weeks and attracts 10 to 12,000 people. Lots of young people and children come. And its purpose, it, now we've re redefined the, uh, the strap line, so to speak, around three things. Um, the, the first is hearing God's word. The second is becoming like God's son. And then third, serving God's mission. So it begins with hearing God's word. So the Bible is always taught at, at these Keswick events. And the purpose is so that we become like God's son. In other words, it's not just creating head knowledge. It's to make us more like the Lord Jesus. Mm. And thirdly, it's to serve God's mission. It's to push us out into the world to tell others the good news about Jesus. So those are the three things that uh, the Keswick movement stands for. Mm. Uh, it's always had the Bible uh, at the center in terms of teaching and preaching for all ages and all backgrounds. Mm. It's always had an emphasis on on becoming like Christ, on godliness, practical holiness, living living as we should. And it's always had a strong missions tradition as well, serving God's mission. So um, so that's the what goes on in, in Keswick. And my involvement has been over many years uh, since I was a student, actually, and I've chaired it for various things. And now, more latterly, I'm seeking to work amongst other um, Keswick movements elsewhere in the world because um, these have just bubbled up as people have come to the British event they've decided to try and start something in their own country so there are about 90 events around the world um, not uh, controlled at all in any way by the British uh, operation they're entirely independent but uh, there's a sort of the Keswick Fellowship as we call it which is a, a family of of these different events taking place in in different parts of the world in uh, in Japan, for example, just to give one example, then you must stop me. Um, the, in Japan, they started about 60 or 70 years ago um, and have started small Keswick meetings. And now they take place, <clears throat> excuse me, in about 12, 13 different cities, all the way up from the south of Japan up to the north throughout February. And it's one of the few events that brings Christians together from across different denominations. Mm. And being a, a Christian in Japan is not at all easy. It's quite mm. a, they're quite a small minority, but uh, they're able to join together and um, engage both in, in mission and evangelism, but also in Bible teaching and unite Christians from these different backgrounds in, uh, in these different cities up and down Japan. So it's a lovely, lovely example mm. of the way in which this movement has, has caught people's imagination and has, has been serving the churches there. Yeah, all from a gentleman in his back garden. Exactly. In 1875. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's another another interesting story of the sort of ripple effects of someone's uh, personal faith and and, and their entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurial action. It's now had its ripple effect, rather like Langham has done. It's just yeah. just it seems by God's spirit to take off and, uh, yeah. and develop. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? Really fantastic. Now, um, we are coming to land slowly. Um, I ask everybody this question, and uh, why is the word of God so important to you? Mm. Well, in all three areas that I've mentioned, that's IFES, the student work, and uh, Langham preaching, and Keswick. Um, the idea of, of God's word um, being opened and explained and taught and welcomed and received and lived, um, all of those verbs, um, that's been central. Uh, and so the whole of my life really has been caught up with, with the importance of, of the Bible and, and the importance of, of uh, receiving it and teaching it and explaining it to others. And the reason why I think it's so important for me personally, but also for for local churches all around the world, um, is that it is it is uh, uh, um, not simply um, a book of information, but it's a living word that God speaks to His people. Um, what intrigues me when you read the Bible is the number of ways in which it describes its dynamic impact. When God speaks, something happens, mm. and so. Um, the word of God is often described in these fairly dramatic terms, whether it's a, a sword, you know, Paul spoke about the word of God as the sword of the spirit. Jeremiah said it was like a hammer that broke rocks. Jesus said it was a, a seed which produces a wonderful harvest. They're all wonderful dynamic images. In other words, God's word is his, his, uh, um, 
his dynamic uh, message to us, which in turn transforms our lives. It has this dynamic impact on us and on on uh, on uh, the churches, um, and it's because it is uh, inspired and uh, 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 authoritative, coming from God Himself. Um, designed to therefore have its practical impact, its dynamic impact on us. Um, there's a lovely verse uh, that Paul mentions, and I've heard you mention it, uh, Nigel. It's it's also one of my favorite verses, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, where, yeah. where Paul is saying that he, he he thanks God for these Thessalonian Christians who received it, received the word of God, not, a, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe, he says. In other words, it's God's word, so it's authoritative, the Bible, and it sh- it's 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 the maker's instructions. It's the it's the guidance as to how we live. But more than that, it is at work in those who believe. So when we welcome it in, um, it it is powerful as well as authoritative. It can begin to change us and make us what we should be. So Paul, when he writes to Timothy says well this is why the word of god really matters it's it's certainly inspired but it's therefore he uh, he says it's valuable for teaching and instruction and correction and it equips us for every good thing every good work paul says to timothy so um i like to think of it as a in those dynamic terms the bible it's not simply a book of information or a book of regulations or laws it is in fact God's living word to us, inspired by him uh, for our well-being in every area of life. And by the Holy Spirit, it becomes the dynamic which changes us and which shapes us and makes us more and more like the Lord Jesus. Mm. So I don't think there could be anything more important in the Christian Mm. life Mm. than uh, uh, taking God's word seriously Mm. and, and understanding it, welcoming it in, allowing it to change us and explaining it to others that is why uh, jesus said we don't live by bread alone but by every word which comes from the mouth of god amen amen and and those of you that are listening i'm going to give you i'm going to give you some um ways in which you can take this forward um uh i was having tea with a a, a tennis mate of mine just this week not a christian had to go to church every day when he was a schoolboy. turned him off completely uh, we, we started talking about God and Jesus and the Bible. He said, it was such a big book. I don't know how to get, you know, it's, you know, he doesn't know it. He doesn't, he doesn't read it. And so those of you that are listening that, that have been um, inspired uh, by Jonathan to, to consider opening the book, I'm going to give you two choices. The first choice is to buy every single book that Jonathan has written. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because you definitely be inspired by 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 that. And the second option, uh, I'm going to give a shameless plug for precept, um, because I was that person who wanted to know about God and, and uh, know him for myself, not know about him, but to know him and to become more like Jesus myself and uh, didn't have the skills and the tools to be able to access the word of God. I was hopeless at English at school. Um, if my teacher said comprehension and prose in, in my English class, my, my brain would go in a fog. Um, completely opposite to you, Jonathan. And uh, and so came across Precept many years ago and um, just gave me the tools to be able to read and understand the Bible. That's great. And, um, you know, I, I'm just so grateful for for the work of Precept and, and what it's done in my life and and um, for, for leading me to, to now help others. Um, to understand it and so um for those listening the word of god is it's supernatural it is supernatural and it 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 is it does things that no other book is able to do uh and so whatever situation you may be in you may be in a desperate situation you may be struggling with some illness or the bible has got something to speak to you about and the question is um how do you access that information, that that uh, transforming power of the word of God? Well, you've got a couple of options there. You've got a couple of options and take it seriously. Do take it seriously, because uh, we know, Jonathan, you've seen it countless times in, in cultures and people across the world. Uh, the impact 
the mm. tremendously positive impact that the word of God has on people's lives. And so Absolutely. don't sit there thinking, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. The word of God is the answer. <laughs> yes. Please do do contact us uh, about that. Um, we would love to help you. We would love to help you. I know Jonathan would too. Um, do you have a favorite book in the Bible? That's a, that's a naughty, another naughty question from Nigel. <laughs> um, well, uh, yes, I think I would say uh, 2 Corinthians, which I've mentioned already. Yes. And I've written a little bit on 2 Corinthians. Yes. But the reason why I, I really like it, it's, it's a little bit complicated as yes. one of Paul's letters. It's a longer one. But the reason why I like it is he is very honest and very transparent about his own life, his own struggles, the challenges of trying to live Christian life. Um, he was under a great deal of pressure, in fact, and um, and yet the book is um, explains one important thing that I've mentioned right at the beginning with regard to my own um, challenges as a child and as a teenager, and that is the lesson of of becoming dependent on God. In fact, Paul talks about weakness, and he says in two Corinthians that that is the best place to experience God's strength and God's grace is when you're weak. It's a little bit countercultural because we all think that leaders should be strong. But he says, well, if you if you know your weakness, then you know that you need God's help. And and he even uh, includes some, some lovely phrases that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Mm. So I've really enjoyed two Corinthians. It's been a lifesaver for me. Mm. And I think that would be my favorite book in the Bible. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. What about a favorite verse? Yes, it has to be in 2 Corinthians, and it was 2 Corinthians 12 um, which and verse 9, where, where the Lord said to Paul uh, exactly what I've, I've just quoted, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So it's, it's the heart of 2 Corinthians. Uh, I'll give you one silly story. When I was a child, um, I remember my father telling me that Christians are like a teabag. And I, uh, I was wondering why he, why he was saying that. He said, well, their real strength is drawn only when they get into hot water. <laughs> but the point is that uh, these difficulties, which I was experiencing as a child, which I mentioned at the top of our interview, the, uh, the, um, the challenges and weaknesses, the hot water that we get into, the big advantage is that the, that is the time when we begin to discover God's strength and power, when he gives us grace. So um, that's 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9 is my uh, favorite verse. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that. Um, a wonderful, wonderful godly mentor of ours, a guy called Bob Vereen and his wife, Diane, I remember being in a situation which was tough. At the time, for me, it was tough. You know, looking back, it probably wasn't so. But it, but it was tough, and I was in a bit of a mangle, and um, you know, worried about what was going to happen. And Bob said to me, um, "You can't sort it out, can you, Nigel?" Mm -hmm. I, I said, "No, I really can't, and I'm really mm -hmm. concerned about it." He said, "He said, well, I'm excited." <laughs> I said, "Bob, how can you be excited? This is not a situation to be excited about." And he said, yeah, I'm excited because you because you can't, which means God's going to have to. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do. And yeah. and it just put a completely different yes. spin on, on the situation. That's good. Yeah, it's learning that kind of dependence. That's what matters. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. what is um, next for you and how could we be praying for you and those listeners be praying for Jonathan Lamb? Mm, well, thank you, Nigel. Thanks for having me on. And um, thanks for that question. Um, well, it's difficult to to know what lies ahead, isn't it? Um, but I'm uh, I'm now um, I've reached my three score years and 10. And so maybe what's next is heaven. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> it, um, what I'm trying to do is uh, and whatever I'd be glad of, of prayer is um, to use time well um, it, it, in as much as God has given me more time to carry on with teaching and preaching and training and writing, um, that's what I want to do. So mm. um, certainly I'm trying to work on various projects at the moment for writing. I continue to travel and teach. I'd be glad uh, for health and strength to be able to sustain that as long as the Lord wants me to do that mm. and um, and to finish well. I think that's always a, a prayer as we get older, mm. that we uh, 
we completely I, lo I love the way in which paul at the end of his life in 2 timothy could say that he'd finished the race yes. he'd completed the task that god had given him as he says to the ephesian elders in acts 20 mm -hmm. and um, i'd like to be able to say that mm -hmm. and so um I, uh, god willing i can keep going a little bit longer in serving him in these ways and uh, i'd like to ask that, that god would give me grace to finish well yeah fantastic wonderful 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 well what a joy to be able to to talk to you today and to hear something of your amazing journey of faith from a young boy age five um mm. you know uh clearly god had his hand on you from a, a very young age and gave you a real passion for him and to get to know him and the abilities to be able to do that and and you have you've fact you've given your life you've given your life to helping people to get to know god through your teaching and preaching and writing and um wow incredible i think there's going to be a well done my good and faithful servant oh well i'm not i'm not worthy come, of that but um come, come the day come the day god, but um i'm very grateful for god's grace uh, over oh, the years, yeah and thanks for having me on nigel i wish you well in your work too oh well you're very kind it, you're very kind it's uh it's a joy it's a real joy so so yeah thank you so much and uh, we'll continue to pray that god um uses you and your skills and um until that day he calls you home so thank you so yeah. much Thank you.